Welcome everyone to the podcast, Dr. Heather Uncensored. Huh, wonder who that is. Wasn't expecting anyone. Oh, Ethel, so good to see you. But why are you here? It's nothing's happening today. Well, so anxious. I mean, this just, I don't know, this COVID has just got us going and the whole thing about the vaccine. Oh, Ethel, here, have a seat. I mean, you're so overwrought. Why don't you just take a deep breath? Just let your tongue touch between your teeth and the upper palate. Just breathe from your ovaries. Yeah, that's in. Just breath in. You don't have to say anything. Just let yourself relax. There you go. Really breathing down deep. Well, the thing is about the vaccines. Uh, you know, I think what's the best thing to do is why don't I just read the vaccination article that I wrote, and maybe that will give you a little bit of an idea, and we can talk about it after that. That will probably give you some something to stand on. How's that? Okay, so I wrote this back about, oh, about a year, year and a half ago. Except for the Wicked Witch of the West and the people in charge of putting people in cages at the southern border, I suspect most people genuinely care about children being and staying healthy. Unfortunately, the vaccination question has created this almost unmanageable divide between friends, families, doctors and government officials, all who feel they have the informed and compassionate answer. So as I scroll through Facebook, I paused at a post that read, in capital letters, people are idiots who don't vaccinate their babies. Staring at the capitalized anger, my breath, a series of sharp inhales, I wondered why the yelling, the intense judgment. I knew this woman. I had lunch with her several years ago, although a friendship had never developed. I remembered she had said something as vehemently on Facebook about GMOs shortly afterwards. I sat down to mull over the divisiveness in the vaccination issue, what I could say to testy woman who was missing a few key concepts. During this time, I returned to Canada and learned my 13-year-old grandson already had an opinion after a discussion at his Montessori school, again based on lies from the CDC and Big Pharma that have so neatly wrapped Senator Pan in their claws. This is for you too, Oscar. As a naturopathic medical doctor, I have witnessed the onslaught of chronic disease, asthma, allergies, autoimmune disorders, and developmental disorders, autism, Tourette's, and other neurological conditions for over 30 years. Statistics show that child chronic illnesses in the U.S. have more than doubled since 1994, with 33% of these having an environmental link. Natural medicine specializes in both the innate immune system using a variety of modalities, food, botanicals, homeopathy, right thinking, and so on, to prevent illness, and when ill, to support the acquired, also called adapted, immune system to ensure full recovery. I am continually on the lookout for pieces in the puzzle of healing specifically with roots in environmental toxicity apropos Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. So I was shocked to learn that scientists at the University of British Columbia, just a few miles from my former clinic, have had their studies on vaccines and aluminum retracted by research platforms. 
Why on earth is research being suppressed when we need to understand why this is happening from every angle? As a society, especially at a time like this when everything seems off kilter, we grasp onto certain myths like a scared child to apron strings. We don't get that vaccinations today are not the same vaccinations as yesteryear. Not only are the number and doses of vaccines required by schools today far greater, they contain additives that have the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and cause permanent injury. These substances, many adjuvants, probably not a word in your vocabulary unless you have a child who's been vaccine injured, used in a vaccine to stimulate the immune system or create fluidity, while other chemicals are used for preservation and longevity. Coupled with a minimal dose of an antigenic piece of virus, an antigen, an adjuvant may provoke a higher antibody level against the virus, allowing for a reduced number of injections, therefore considered more efficient. However, aluminum, the most common adjuvant in 18 of 32 vaccines, is a heavy metal, a neurotoxin that accumulates in the tissues of the brain, spinal cord, and bones. Its toxicity was recorded in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, as far back as 1911. The use of additives, adjuvants, began mid-century with peanut oil, but it is the neurotoxins like aluminum and mercury and DNA fragments that do the most damage, as the brain is enormously susceptible to them, especially during a period of rapid brain development in a baby or young child. At this time, the blood-brain barrier is not complete and gives a green light to dangerous substances, allowing them to infiltrate delicate brain tissue. Researcher Lucia Tomlenchentovic, PhD, writes, Nothing is known about the toxicology and pharmacological kinetics of aluminum compounds in infants and children. After almost a century of use, its safety is based on assumptions rather than experimental evidence. The FDA itself admits safety assessments are often not included in toxicity studies. This researcher also discusses the flawed study design of vaccine trials, wondering how it can be known that a vaccine is safe when aluminum is used as the adjuvant containing placebo or another vaccine as control group rather than a saline control. According to the FDA, the maximum allowable dose of aluminum is 25 micrograms, yet the content in a vaccine like DTaP ranges from 170 to 625 micrograms while the HPV vaccine has 500 milligrams and other vaccines contain from 125 to 1500 micrograms. In fact, hepatitis B on the first day of life exposes a newborn to 14 times the acceptable level of aluminum. The JAMA article from 1911 describes aluminum in all its forms as toxic and cautions it should never be eaten or injected. Remember being told to eat only non-alum baking powder? Yet, aluminum continues to be used in DTaP, hepatitis A and B, haemophilus influenza, and the pneumococcal vaccine. Other adjuvants in vaccines include formaldehyde, a known carcinogen. 
polysorbate 80, a detergent that enables substances to cross the blood-brain barrier, the marisol, a form of mercury, another neurotoxin, and free amino acids and proteins from cows, chickens, and aborted fetuses. Referring to the latter, pediatrician Thomas Callan cautions, Spillage of foreign DNA from inside the cell into the bloodstream can happen, setting off an antibody-mediated immune reaction as new antibodies to this foreign DNA are created. The cycle becomes a destructive loop. Dr. Helen Radich-Zak noticed this in 1995, almost a quarter of a century ago, and correlated non-typed human DNA in vaccines to autism. Knowing blood transfusions must include genetic typing for compatibility, she wonders why this is not being done with vaccines on a routine basis. Another problem is inadvertent inclusions. Citing an ingredient in the herbicide Roundup, MIT scientist Dr. Stephanie Seneff warns glyphosate could easily be present in vaccines due to the fact that certain vaccine viruses, including measles and MMR and flu virus, are grown on gelatin derived from the ligaments of pigs fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their GMO feed. Livestock feed is allowed to have up to 400 parts per million of glyphosate residues by the EPA, thousands of times higher than has been shown to cause harm in numerous studies. Researchers are uncovering the insidious nature of adjuvants and additives as you read this, implicating a growing range of immune-mediated diseases triggered by these noxious additions. In fact, Israeli researcher Yehuda Schoenfeld has named this syndrome ASIA, A-S-I-A, short for Autoimmune Inflammatory Syndrome Induced by Adjuvants. Developing slowly over months to years, the mechanism of action is not completely understood, but one thing seems sure. These contaminants hit their target organ, brain, gut, etc., and are not easily flushed from the body. Thomas Cowan writes in his book, Vaccines, Autoimmunity, and the Changing Nature of Childhood Illnesses. Unfortunately, the last century is a story of reckless interference with our immune system and, in particular, interference with our cell-mediated immune response. He is referring to the fact vaccines only use the humoral or antibody response that has no elimination stage. Basically, how can the adjuvants get out of the body efficiently if we aren't allowing the cell-mediated response that has this capability? The innate immune system will try to excrete them, but complete clearing is a difficult, if not an impossible task, and is also dependent on your genetic ability to do so. Those with the MTHFR gene have diminished ability to excrete dangerous substances like neurotoxic adjuvants. Cowan goes on, We have been taught to fear cell-mediated immunity, i.e. symptoms, or at least see it as a nuisance. In traditional cultures, the activity of the cell-mediated immunity was often approached with a kind of reverence. On the other hand, innate immunity, when the virus enters through natural roots, such as mucous membranes, it causes symptoms, fever, coughing, rash, 
and makes a pathway for immune cells to kill and then eliminate the virus. Both parts of our acquired immunity, cell-mediated, symptoms-generated, Th1, and the humoral system, antibodies produced, Th2, are activated. In vaccination, only Th2 is activated. Activating both Th1 and Th2 means that immunity lasts a lifetime to that particular virus. With vaccination, the antibodies can wane and boosters are needed, adding even more adjuvants that are unable to be easily eliminated, especially in children with a genetic disadvantage. This is the crux of the problem. You know, it's not just scientists and progressive doctors sounding the alarm. Suzanne Humphreys, a board-certified hospital nephrologist, came to understand the effect of the flu vaccine on the kidneys in a geriatric population, yet her assessments were dismissed. She asks in her book, Dissolving Illusions, what else is being ignored and misinterpreted today? I see Humphreys and other truth-sayers akin to Rachel Carson, who in her 1962 book, Silent Spring, warned about toxins in the external environment. These doctors and scientists warn of the internal environment affected, i.e. the human body inside of us. Vaccination considered by society at large to be the greatest medical procedure of all time, has strayed from its beginning needs hoping to eradicate the horror of smallpox. Originally from rodents, smallpox was described in Indian texts as early as 1500 BCE, found on an Egyptian mummy in 1145 BCE, and hit Japan in 735 to 737 CE, killing one-third of the population. It roamed Africa, the Middle and the Far East for thousands of years, and by the 16th century was blowing across Europe like an evil wind. Becoming the leading cause of death in the 18th century, it killed Chief Sitting Bull, an Aztec chief, an Inca ruler, and 80% of First Nations, Native Americans, through exposure to often intentionally contaminated blankets. No wonder people were looking for a way to deal with this deadly and disfiguring disease. But we aren't in Kansas anymore. Smallpox has been eradicated, and it was aided by a revolution in sanitation, public health, and personal hygiene. Vaccination's initial discovery, a global response to smallpox, is way past its sell-by date. Yet, it is not to be questioned, not to be disputed in professional circles or with people like Testy Woman. It's imperative we realize we are holding on to a procedure that has become a myth that has never been scrutinized in the way other drugs must be in terms of clinical trials. For its time and the depth of the tragedy of smallpox, there was an incredible genius regarding variolation, the precursor to vaccination. I first learned about this procedure, from the Latin word for smallpox, variola, when I homesteaded in Nova Scotia in the 1970s. Midwife and herbalist Marie-Henriette Lejeune, aka Granny Ross, emigrated from France in the late 1700s, bringing a vial of smallpox serum with her to protect her family and community. This intrepid Acadian was courageous and a visionary. Variolation would have been a very good thing in the 1700s and had been used for a few thousand years all over the world. Using ground-up scabs and fluid from pustules, 
This has either blown up a person's nose, Chinese, 1000 BC, or scratched into the skin with a lancet, or bifurcated points, Middle East, Africa, Nova Scotia. Variolation still caused a risk of death, but much less, 0.5 to 2% compared to 30 to 35% if contracted the disease itself. Another technique used again in late 1700s, this time in Sudan, is similar to the goal of chickenpox parties today. A mother would barter with the mother of an infected child and after agreeing on a price per pustule, tie a cloth around the child's arm and return home to tie it around their own child's arm. In Turkey, 1718, another brave woman, Lady Montague, wife of the British ambassador, learned variolation from old women, taking the technique back to England, where the Royal Society of Medicine failed to see its value. Edward Jenner came along several decades later, using the same procedure, but with pus from a cow disease, and again the Royal Society balked. Jenner vaccinated more people, changing the name variolation to vaccination from the Latin word vaca for cow. Oh, that branding catches a person unaware. Well, Jenner was mocked by scientists and pilloried in press, with cartoonists drawing cows growing out of his head. Yet the rest is history, a history that embodies, quote and unquote, the greatest medical discovery of all time. But can we really say that now? No, we can't, or we shouldn't, because of that strange word, adjuvants, harmful neurotoxins, or other contaminants injected into a muscle that may end up in a vulnerable brain causing permanent injury. These weren't included in the brilliant discovery by desperate people around the world to eliminate a deadly disease that had occurred for hundreds if not thousands of years, but they are now in almost every vaccine. And this is why I helped in the fight against SB 276, a California bill that affects fragile children. I have been shocked to tears to witness the trauma these families are experiencing. Death by vaccination stories sat on my desk, 16 of them, devastating to read. The health authorities and government need to know these stories to conduct appropriate studies. People, children mostly, have died and continue to die from vaccinations, or they have seizures and or develop autism, no matter who denies this, or go on to have any number of immune-mediated diseases. This tragedy is not being taken seriously to the extent parents are being both mocked and attacked a la testy woman. It crushes my heart. I have started to write the hashtag the parents know, because they do. They are the ones who bear the brunt of the paucity of research on vaccine safety who, 24 hours a day, tend to harm child or suffer the grief of one who has succumbed. The brilliance of variolation has been turned on its head. Adding adjuvants without proper studies or recourse for injury has caused extraordinary misery through disease and death. How ironic that this is exactly what was hoping to be eliminated in the first place. When I was studying biology for my first degree, I was told in no uncertain terms that it is essential to keep an open mind. Yet the culture of heads-in-the-sands medical professionals and government officials predominates, 
perpetuating the myth of vaccines being harmless. The media broadcasts this message far and wide, brainwashing the public, creating the least scientific and perhaps the lowest point in the history of allopathic medicine. It is unconscionable that California is not just forcing regular children to be vaccinated with damaging adjuvants, but has taken away medical exemptions from fragile children, families traumatized for no scientific basis. We bathe in the belief that vaccines are created equally, that the extraordinary benefit of vaccines must extend to all vaccines and all people, when that is simply not true. No one wants to harm children, not even testy women. We just refuse to look at the facts. Why the medical establishment and the government are not willing to even consider heavy metals and other incompatible substances are crossing the blood-brain barrier and causing irreparable damage is beyond me. What is needed is right in front of us. Good research without pressure from the CDC or Big Pharma. If society only had an ounce of the curiosity and courage of the original variolators, the old women, mothers including Lady Montague and Granny Ross and Dr. Jenner, we might find a way out of this mess. Until then, children will be injured, babies will die. Isn't it time we smartened up? Well, I take it then that you're not going to be getting a COVID vaccine, but the other women want to discuss it more. You know, they want to understand all the different things about it. You're correct. I will definitely not be getting it because I don't need it. I don't want it. And the truth is that anyone who takes it now will be a guinea pig. It's a technology that's never been licensed to human before. They haven't done animal trials and they're not telling us exactly what's in it. And people are already having severe reactions to it. In fact, let me quote a really great group a voice for choice advocacy. They say, all COVID-19 vaccines being approved by the FDA with emergency use authorization at this stage are live human experiments with the very real possibility of severe unknown side effects that may be worse than the COVID-19 itself. Here's a question to ask anyone who is considering getting a COVID-19 vaccine in the next six months. Would you have signed up for the vaccine clinical trials? If the answer is no, then you should not be getting the vaccine now. If the answer is yes, and if you are fully informed of the risks of the vaccine and the risks of COVID-19 for you personally, then you should be free to make that choice. The problem is with this vaccine, as I said, it's never been tried before. An RNA vaccine has never been licensed because an RNA virus mutates. Now, HIV mutates the most and they could never make a vaccine for that, but they've never been able to make a vaccine from SARS-1. Basically, COVID-19 is SARS-2, and that is 80% of SARS-1. So I'm not really sure why they are so adamant that this is going to be safe for people when it's never been tried before and it's absolutely new technology that hasn't been used before. So personally, no, I would not do it. But for you, you have to think about your genetics. You have to understand that they're not telling us what's actually in it. And like I said in the paper I wrote, 
these are things that are harmful. And people, I've heard people say that it's very possible that this is going to result in adult onset autism. There's very scant science. And if there's any injury that happens, you are on your own. People don't know how to, to reverse it. So I want to also just give a couple points here before we close. I had a friend who's from Romania or from Hungary. I think she's Romanian from Hungary. She emailed me that, and I'll read it. I never had any flu shots ever. When I came to the U.S., my doctor's office started asking, offering, pushing about it. So I called my family doctor in Hungary, asking her about these flu shots. Her answer was, your body must produce everything for the fight. Your immune system must provide all that is needed. That's why we must eat all the fruits, vegetables, proteins, nuts, and legumes by seasons so the body can store it. And this makes so much sense to me because, first of all, the death rate is so, so low with COVID. If you have an underlying condition, please go and take care of that. That's, you know, the number one to do. And just in closing, I want to quote from a letter, an email I received just yesterday from a patient I haven't seen or the mother of a patient I haven't seen in a few years. And he, she says, just to update you on Caleb, he just started high school. Fortunately, I was able to get medical exemptions for him and his brother that will be in effect until they graduate from high school. Caleb is an A student, bilingual, and has really progressed with his karate studies. He is thriving health-wise. He will still occasionally have tics, but when he does, they are very mild. He rarely gets sick, and when he does, it's very mild symptoms that last a day or two. The last time was in March. His doctor always comments on how healthy he and his brother are. I've told them that I think it's because we stopped vaccinating them and focus on good nutrition. We're still giving him the liposomal vitamin C. I'm so glad our paths have crossed. I still remember my search in finding a naturopathic doctor for Caleb when his tics were at their worst. Something drew me to you, and I'm so glad I made the call. Thank you for everything. Obviously, it made my day, and I'm happy to let you know that my book, Surviving a Viral Pandemic Through the Lens of a Naturopathic Medical Doctor, is available almost anywhere in the world. So if you have someone who's not up to snuff, please think of that. People are writing really beautiful reviews. I thank them for that. And I just wish you the best health. See you next time.